motivating and inspiring people can't be done on a spreadsheet. It can't be done typically through a Zoom call, in my opinion. It's got to be done organically. It's got to be done one at a time. And so HR professionals have a tremendous obligation, responsibility to find that right talent inside of your business, to develop them, to have managers that get what it takes to be effective leaders, because we all know how terrible managers can be. And when you have bad managers, how quickly people leave your organization. And then we have to give people opportunity. They need opportunity to stretch, to feel that they are getting better, that they're growing as individuals. That's you know, pe- People want safety at work. They want to get paid. They want to work for someone they like. They want opportunities. Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey, and this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR wherever you get your podcast. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at goodmorninghr.com. The art and science of creating workplaces where people thrive while moving the organization forward in execution of its mission can be exhilarating. It's why I've spent most of my professional life in HR. But if we're not careful, our people management can become transactional, disengaged, or even adversarial. Working with people isn't always unicorns and rainbows. Joining me today to discuss how people leaders can stay engaged, avoid burnout, and deliver amazingly awesome HR is John Bernadovich. John is president of Willery, a staffing and consulting firm dedicated to HR and payroll. He is also host of the HR Like a Boss podcast, keynote speaker, and an author. John's new book, HR Like a Boss, Your Guide to Amazingly Awesome HR, was just released by Sherm Books. Welcome to Good Morning HR, John. Hey, Mike. I really appreciate you having me on. What a delight and pleasure. Keep up the great work, and I look forward to our conversation. Yeah, let's let's start with the book's title. What does it mean to HR like a boss? Interestingly, on the podcast that I host, the very last question that I ask all guests, Mike, is how would you describe someone that does HR like a boss? We're 105 episodes in. I do not have the same answer to that question talking to 105 different people. So beauty's in the eye of the beholder. As it relates to me as the author of the book, there's a couple things that stand out to me. I feel like human resources needs to look at their role a little differently. There's five main parts of the book, thinking differently, being different, being better, taking action, making an impact. And in order to do HR like a boss, I believe you have to love what you do, truly love working with people, connecting them to the purpose of your business and all that goes with it. And then you also have to take an immense amount of ownership, take responsibility for what it is that you are capable of having influence over, having direct responsibility for. So those are the primary aspects of what it takes to do HR like a boss from the author's perspective, own it, love it, take responsibility for it think differently about it, be different, be better, take action, make an impact. And that's not just only on employees, but on your business, but, and also into your community. So that, that, that is my perspective of, but the really cool thing, Mike, is you ask someone that question, you get a different answer every single time in in their response. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of it will probably track and along the same lines, usually for, at least for those HR folks who've been around for a while and, and had success. And I think what you say about owning it is is really important. Um, what does an owner set or an owner's mindset look like uh, that, you know, 
I think, cause I think a lot of HR folks don't quite have that because they've never actually signed a paycheck or they've never had that, that personal skin in the game at a level that people like you and me, you know, entrepreneurs who've built their companies, uh, you know, I think our perspectives are often, you know, different. So if you, if you were talking to an HR professional, how would you describe that ownership mindset? Yeah, in the book, I actually write about the idea of creating an LLC or a S corp or whatever term you want in your mind. It doesn't have to physically be, you know, don't go through the process of making all that paperwork and adding more trouble to your life because your tax accountant will ask you, <laughs> why do we have an, a, a Mike Coffee LLC set up? Oh boy, this guy wrote, wrote a book. I, he told me to do it and I took his every word. But it's, it's having that responsibility like an owner does. Simplest way for me to relate that to someone that maybe has never owned a business is what it felt like when you got your first animal or what what it felt like when you owned your first car, how differently you felt about that animal. Or for those of you that maybe have had children, what was it like when you first had a child? That sense of responsibility versus that niece or nephew you could drop back off at your sister's house, that neighborhood kid that you babysat for for 15 bucks an hour just because your mom and dad told you to. There's a different mindset to that level of ownership. And I think in human resources, because we're sometimes sandwiched between the employee and the employer, we don't necessarily have an ownership of one versus the other. And this idea of looking at it like a business, looking at like you're the owner of Mike Coffee LLC, and, and that's your primary responsibility is to deliver amazingly awesome HR to your employees, to your business, and to your community. I just think that overall just thought process of looking at how, how you view your role is a starting point. And then on top of that, one of the, the number one things that I suggest to anyone that gets into that is to, is to build relationships with the people that you're having to deliver that support, service, ownership of whatever you're doing to. Foster those friendships. Take advantage of time that you have in conferences or at the water cooler or on Zoom calls to get to know them as a human being at the same time letting them get to know you as a human being because you heard this all the time. Steve Brown says it. If you follow any of his work, you know, put the human back in human resources. That's probably overused and easy to say, but I want to make sure that the people that end up reading my book can take away the idea that you are a human being first. You have feelings and emotions. You're trying to do your absolute best work. So let people get to know you versus this arm's length, you know, because I have, I may have to fire you someday because I might have to put you on a performance evaluation someday. It's just easier for me to not develop a rapport with you. The reason why I recommend that is I think you can deliver better HR through those relationships. You get to know the business, the people, those aspects of it. And then when this is all said and done, Mike, and we're retiring, playing golf, fishing, boating, whatever we're responsible for, those relationships will be the things you remember, not the fact that you accomplished some project in X year. It'll be the relationship I developed with Rob or Steve or Sally or Ben. And to me, we might as well make best use of the time while we're doing our work. Yeah. And I, I think I see a lot of young HR professionals coming in who, you know, maybe they've got a little experience, but they've got some education and they're, they're ready for the block and tackling side of HR. You know, they're not going to, you know, they understand FLSA or ADA, things like that, but it's easy to uh, fall into the trap of HR 
being transactional, HR being Dr. No, that kind of attitude that, you know, that we see in, in older school HR. And that idea of ownership that that I'm not responsible just for this one component, but I'm I'm responsible for making the overall organization succeed. And a part of that is definitely compliance and risk mitigation. But beyond that, ownership means that, you know, to me as an owner and what I want to see in, in my team is what do we do? You know, how do I contribute to make sure that the entire organization a- accomplishes its mission? Yeah. So one of the things I, I I'll, I'll comment two two main points on, on, on your question. It, number one is that we've, we've started out this, this idea of, taking a degree of ownership over something that can be ambiguous, I believe. It's not very specific or direct. That's why when you have direct reports on an org chart, it's very clear who you're responsible for. So I recommend in that particular capacity for somebody with zero years of experience or 30 years of experience, put the people that you're responsible for from an HR delivery standpoint on an org chart, write their names down. If they're not that defined, ask your leader to say, okay, we've got a thousand employees. We have eight HR people. Let's split up the thousand employees. Just, just by divide by eight and give me the names because then I can take a roll call, say, who do I need to develop relationships with? Who do I need to deliver this for? Be specific, be clear, have a name. When you get Rob Smith as the person that you're responsible for, let's get to know Rob. And what Rob's doing in IT or whatever areas that are important. That's why I think this idea of HR business partners and alignment of a human resource function to a segment of employees makes sense. But let's make, again, put the human back in human resources so that we can deliver that and see the impact that we can make of our really amazingly awesome HRs we, as we write in the book or our terribly bad human resources where we're distant and disengaged and don't care and don't put a face to the name. Don't get caught in that trap that's really easy for corporate America to put us in because of, again, what can happen as a, as a downstream to that. To the yeah. point that you made initially, Mike, sorry, on the topic of the less experienced human resource professionals, I, I believe in purpose-driven hum, in purpose-driven business and purpose-driven human resources. One of the, the, the money chapter in the book, chapter 14, is about building a business plan around HR. The very first component of that is having a purposeful commitment for yourself as to why am I doing HR? Why does this connect to me? And then inside of your business, making sure your business has a purpose. Can't, can't talk the talk without walking the walk. So our purpose inside of HR Like a Boss not only through the book sales, but keynote speaking opportunities. And we built a whole HR Like a Boss community platform that's a paid for service, but you get a lot in return for it. Our number one benefactor are those college students that are graduating from a university that's SHRM certified to be able to provide an HR certification. We want to give those students a leg up on some others that maybe have come before them. So my goal is to have every graduating senior across the country of the United States graduate with a chance of taking their SHRM certification test on HR Like a Boss. That's my goal. So if you're looking for a purpose-driven reason to buy a book or to join a community, we're going to give back. And and our goal is to have those students get that launch off point because I feel like SHRM does such a great job, not only in providing content and reasons for you to 
expand your education and human resource, be a subject matter expert, but it goes back to that relationship. They force you at times to go to events because that's how you get your certification credit. They force you to interact with human beings, which I think is a critical part for newer people in their profession. So you got me, you got me passionate about it, Mike, because I believe in it wholeheartedly and it's something that we need to do. And that's something that we're going to stand behind at HR like a boss. Yeah. And, uh, I've been on the state council for Sherm in Texas for a, more than a decade now and, um, and just love working with especially the small volunteer led chapters around the state because Texas has, I think now 32 chapters and most of them are pretty rural and have average attendance, 15, 20 people. But, uh, those leaders keep those things going. And I'm constantly reminding people that even if, you know, whether it's research credit you need or whatever, the biggest value you'll ever get from your SHRM chapter are the relationships. That's where you will find your next job, but also that'll, they give you the opportunity to pick up the phone and call a colleague and say, I've got this weird situation in my office and I don't want to post it on the evil HR lady, or I don't want to post it out there on, on some public uh, conversation board. But if you don't know people in your community who are doing what you do, it's going to be difficult sometimes to, to, you know, to benchmark. And that for me is the deepest value people get from being involved in their local term chapter is just the relationship, whether it means your next job or, or just, um, you know, people who kind of walk in your shoes and know what you're dealing with. So thank you for sure. for Yeah, no problem. The, the unfortunate part for that, Mike, is that the technology that's surrounded us in the la- and been innovated over the last 15 years is causing us to, to diminish the importance of relationships. Right. People are breaking up over text. They're developing relationships through social media. And the idea of looking at you in the eye and and having a conversation and feeling your emotions and then being empathetic about that and then doing something about it. Those are all lost arts, things that probably is the greatest challenge of a 15 and 13 year old child growing, having them grow up in this digital age of having them be comfortable with looking you in the eye, showing emotions, telling people how you feel. Just that relationship building again, to me is what work is all about because at the end of the day, we're going to pay, pay our bills. We're working for a reason. But when this is all said and done, no one's going to say, oh, hey, Mike, way to go. You did 123 podcast episodes. No, Mike, you built a relationship with me. You made me feel this way. I'm a better person because you were in my life kind of things. The podcast is great. Don't get me wrong. I'm flippantly (laughs) saying that you get as I'm a guest on a show that you're trying to promote. I get what I just did, but you understand the point. Right. I hope. Well, and the other thing you said was loving what you do in addition to owning your role and your contribution, but loving what you do. And I hear all the time, you know, people say, well, uh, I want to be in HR because I love working with people. And then often the answer is, well, working in HR is the quickest way to kill that. And so, uh, and it definitely has its, has its moments, but how do you preserve that? I love working with people and that positive attitude, loving what you do in HR uh, and, and not let the haters get you down. Yeah, no, it's so easy. I, I, I heard that countless times. I write a little bit about it in my book, this idea, the reason why you got into HR becomes the bane of your existence as a human resource <laughs> professional. And it's, it's kind of comical. I think about something I'm, I'm preparing to do a disrupt HR presentation. I'll give a little tease to that in Pittsburgh. I saw this 
interview that Anderson Cooper did of Stephen Colbert's is four years or so ago. It was right around the time I lost both of my parents, Anderson and lost his parents or one of his parents at the time. And Stephen Colbert had gone through some significant heartache in his life. And he, he said something to me that just stuck with me for my life is that it is a gift to exist. And with existence comes suffering and suffering we cannot escape. You have to look at your suffering as a gift. And I'm not going to get biblical on the show. That's not what the idea is for. But with human beings comes suffering and challenging and, and idiotic things that they do and, and things that you just would never even fathom that someone could do. But that's part of being in human resources. That's one of the gifts that you're given as an HR pro to deliver that to your organization to navigate them through that idiotic thing that person did. What a chance for human resources to say, I'm worth my investment and then some, because I do all these strategic things and I do all these things to keep you out of the principal's office, so to speak, from a compliance standpoint. But when something comes along that people are like, oh no, what do we do? We want to call Sally in HR and say, Sally will handle it because she's done it before when this other person did this idiotic thing and gave us those in human resources a chance to shine versus cringe. And to me, it's all about a mindset. It's a way Stephen Colbert looked at the unfortunate things that happened in his life, his recommendation to his friend, Anderson Cooper, that it, it, it is a gift to exist. It's a gift to be in human resources, to serve people. And their suffering, their challenges, their, idi their idiotic actions are part of that existence. And if we end up looking at it the other way, frankly, Mike, you're going to end up hating yourself, your job, your role. And I, and there, there's a whole lot of things we can do to recommend to people that are in that boat. And I'm not suggesting, I'm not saying that flippantly. You have to deal with that. You have to understand why is this making me so frustrated? Why am I letting these things pile up so much on top of me instead of looking at them as opportunities for me to shine as an HR pro? Yeah. My, my friend Greg Crabtree um, always says that HR is the one or, you know, people are the one component of your business that will show up in a different form every single day. You know, if you've got good procurement practices, you're going to be great. Your, your software, you're going to be great. It's, you know, code is written and it's going to work. But people, the same person can show up three different days and be three different people in your organization. If you want a tab A and slot A approach to people, you probably don't want to be in HR. But if you want that, you know, that multitude of experiences and the opportunity to help people thrive, no matter what's going on in their professional lives and their personal lives, and finding ways to meet that, you're going to, you're not only going to make their lives better, but you're going to ex execute the organization's mission so much better. And I, I think that's the mistake that I see a lot of my entrepreneurial friends and even executives uh, make is they want people to be a commodity. You know, I want tab A and slot A. And so if, if this person isn't going to deliver, I'm not going to invest the time in them. I'm just going to go find another person. And they'll kiss, you know, a dozen frogs to find what may turn out to be a prince or may not. And let's take a quick break. Good Morning HR is brought to you by Imperative, premium background checks with fast and friendly service. I started Imperative almost 25 years ago 
to help risk-averse clients make well-informed decisions about the people they involve in their business. For many clients, that means background checks on prospective employees. But we also provide due diligence research on companies and principals our clients may be considering as vendors, distributors, or even investment targets. Regardless of the purpose of the investigation, the common thread is that we deliver the most thorough research in easy-to-read reports backed by the best customer service team in the business. You can learn more about how Imperative serves our clients at imperativeinfo.com. If you're an HRCI or SHRM certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for one half hour of recertification credit. To obtain the recertification information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on Research Credits. Then select episode 122 and enter the keyword BOSS. That's B-O-S-S. And if you're looking for even more recertification credit, check out the webinars page at imperativeinfo.com. And now back to my conversation with John Bernadovich. So what do you think executives need to really understand uh, that they don't get about what HR's role is and how HR can really push the organization forward? First response to that, Mike, is business is personal. It's it, it's very personal. People, a job is very personal. If you think about when you meet someone for the first time, they tell you their name. They may tell you how many kids they have, how long they've been married, and then where they live, and then bam, where I work and what I do. Mm-hmm. And we spend 70, 80,000 hours of our life, a significant part of it, working. And it mean it should mean a lot to people. I, I look at, I, there's a I'm a huge sports fan and I love to watch the sports pro who is in a unique situation who you see them act like a pro when it's really difficult for them to do that. They're injured, the fan base is against them, whatever the reason is to act like a pro. And to me, in in human resources, in business, we need to act like professionals. We need to show up to work on time. We need to come prepared. We need to do our best possible work. Now, we all know that that is, you know, rainbows and, and unicorns in, in life at times. People don't do that. My main point is, is what a tremendous opportunity, again, for human resources to shine and show the impact they can have in a business. Because if you've been in HR and you've been doing it the right way, you have countless stories of people that you were involved in hiring or bringing into your organization. They fit the company. They told you how great they loved the business that they work for, what job they were in, the manager they were working for. Now, all of a sudden, they start to buy a house, they get a car, they get married, they have kids. You watch them grow up right in front of your eyes as a part of that job being a fabric to it. Just because it happens once doesn't mean it can't happen thousands of other times. And there's a formula and a process and a way to replicate that while, wow, so the process and all that stuff while you connect with individuals and human beings, motivating and inspiring people can't be done on a spreadsheet. It can't be done typically through a Zoom call, in my opinion. It's got to be done organically. It's got to be done one at a time. And so HR professionals have a tremendous obligation, responsibility to find that right talent inside of your business, to develop them, to have managers that get what it takes to be effective leaders, because we all know how terrible managers can be. And when you have bad managers, how quickly people leave your organization. And then we have to give people opportunity. They need opportunity to stretch, to feel 
that they are getting better, that they're growing as individuals. That's you know, pe- People want safety at work. They want to get paid. They want to work for someone they like. They want opportunities. So don't overcomplicate your job by making 9,000 other things you have to do. Let's break down the simplest things that you need to do as an HR pro and make sure you do those exceptionally well. And I, I think that then you can really make a difference in a business, which then would would help that executive say, I'm thankful to have Again, Sally as my HR leader or her team, because they're driving an impact. They're making people feel wanted, safe, secure. And then, oh, by the way, we're delivering results. And you sprinkle that on top, Mike, with, okay, we've got a bunch of money sitting around because we're a successful business. We've got a group of people that are passionate and care about what this organization does. Let's go out in our community and do something good with it. Let's go support a mission or, or a service organization that needs our help. And to me, that's all what doing HR like a boss is all about. And you mentioned those bad managers. And I think most of the time, those managers who, you know, get characterized as bad managers, it's really the organization's fault because they, they, they found, figured out this guy is a great engineer or he's, or he's a great nurse or he's a great whatever. So let's make him a manager. And then they don't give them the tools to do it. And I think that's one of the places HR can make the biggest impact in an organization is helping the subject matter experts who we turn into supervisors or or some sort of leader uh, and, you know, don't have necessarily that skill set. They're not subject matter experts in leading people. And if HR can accomplish that, they can transform an organization. And um, I, uh, you know, I, I totally agree that that whole environment, and that's that's how you start to build your culture. I mean, you can say whatever you want to about culture and values, but until your managers have the tools and the skills, you're not going to build that culture. And, and you know, your ping pong tables and your and your Sundays, uh, uh, you know, uh, ice cream floats and on Fridays or whatever, those things aren't going to do it. Um, but having a manager who who's trained on how to develop people, recognize potential, uh, and treat people like humans uh, when, you know, when they need the compassion and the grace uh, will go so far in in changing the organization. So I think that's a big part of being HR like a boss, but it's a, uh, it's a part, I think a lot of folks almost feel like they have to do the exact opposite in order to be HR. HR has got to be impartial. HR has got to be, you know, aloof and, and kind of at a distance because again, you know, we don't want to get our, you know, we don't have a conflict of interest when we have to do an investigation or we want to, you know, or we have to put somebody on a PIP or all of that. And I, I, I just don't think you can keep your workplace uh, that clean. And I don't know that you really want to. No, I don't, I don't think so either. I, I, I think it's, like I said before, you know, when someone says it's, it's, it's not personal, it's not personal, it's business. I think that's a bunch of BS. I think it's, I think it is very personal to people. Like I said, their work, their job, their responsibility. And, when, when you have to do something to someone that doesn't feel right, I'd rather know them than not know them. Mm-hmm. Now, it, and, and to me, it's going to make me work harder, root harder, try to help that person get out of that situation, invest in them because I know where they live. I know their situation with their kids. I know they just got a dog or whatever the situation is. And it, it allows me as a human resource professional to invest in that more. Now, we, we can't over-invest in it to where we're living and dying by every single action that the person makes. But over time, 
if you can effectively build a culture, like you said, with leaders and managers that are supporting that organically, not like you said, by having ping pong table, it reminds me of the movies you used to watch back in the day where there was an absent parent and then they'd show up on their birthday and give them a big birthday gift. Like what a bunch of BS. Let's be here every single day. Let's deliver for them. Let's give them support. They, people, people recognize those things, even though they may not say it. And I I also believe that people talk with their feet and Mm -hmm. they, they go, they go where they feel most comfortable and they'll stay in an organization if, again, you make them feel safe, you make them feel cared about, you provide them with a leader that's able and capable, and then you give them opportunity, they'll they'll end up staying. And if they leave, then that's okay. We just are going to do that to the next person. Let's not overthink that too much. Let's let's just go stick to our formula that works in treating people with dignity and respect. And oh, by the way, if we then do that, it's most likely you're going to get people to perform at a higher level in their job which will then deliver more results for the business, the stakeholders, the shareholders, and then we have a more profitable company. I have very rarely seen highly successful, highly profitable companies that haven't at least appropriately invested in human resources. I have seen very underperforming companies underinvest in mm-hmm. HR. It's very rare that I'll see successful companies that have uh, it's 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 a it's a a proverbial, you know, what show from an HR department standpoint and a highly successful spitting off a bunch of cash, making money uh, where eventually that will catch up to people if, if they're doing that and not taking care of their people. You mentioned the HR, like a boss business plan. What are the, that's an interesting, that's an interesting way to look at it because, you know, I'm a big advocate that every HR department ought to have a strategic plan that aligns with the organization's strategic plan. Um, but I think you're talking um, more about their um, their mindset, maybe, uh, when you're talking. So what is the HR Like a Boss business plan? Yeah, quick plug, hrlikeaboss.com. You can check it out there. There's all kinds of ways for you to get access to it. We have a, a, a whole community that we build around it because I thought when I wrote the book, it just wouldn't potentially be enough to transform people to do amazingly awesome HR, 200 and some odd pages. I think maybe one or two or three or 10 people can have that skill, but we need more We need more support. We need more community, like you mentioned, of others that are doing it like us. So the HR Like a Boss business plan has five main pillars, Mike. Pillar one is having a purposeful commitment, just like in real estate. So location, location, location is to real estate. Purpose, purpose, purpose is to a business. And I really, truly believe that. What taught me that is I looked at highly successful people like Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and others that have grown these incredibly successful companies. And what are they spending the latter part of their lives doing? Giving away all the money that they made to organizations and making the world a better place and getting the politics of what they're supporting, but they're really doing it to try to not into for-profit. So purposeful commitment, then we have to be people-centric. We have to focus in and put people at the center of our business. If we don't, somebody else will. We then have to have continuity in our processes. We have to have consistency in how we go about making sure we do our business, whatever that might be, whether it's onboarding in HR, whether it's sending out an invoice, whether it's our sales process, whatever that might be. Then we need to make sure our people are producing consistently, that they're delivering results, that we're setting proper expectations with them. We can measure what a successful day, week, month is in every single person's job. And then last but not least, if we do the purposeful commitment, we are people-centric, we have processes that we're, we're making sure of continuity around if we're producing consistently, we'll then understand what our profitable 
characteristics and components are of our business. Understand how your company makes money and loses money. It's one of the most interesting things when I watch the Shark Tank, how quickly mm -hmm. those sharks can identify why a company is not making as much money. They're very, very specific about it. And you as a business person that just so happens to practice in the field of HR, you better understand the characteristics of how your company does or does not make money. Yeah. Um, and, and that goes for whether you're uh, a for-profit or a not-for-profit. I mean, you know, how do, how do we pay our bills? How do we execute on the mission? And, you know, for a lot of companies, whether it's stated or not, you know, if you're a for-profit company, part of the mission is to do this thing for this specific client in order at a profit in order to make money for shareholders. Uh, and we often don't say that last part. And I think that's probably part of the mistake. Uh, you know, there's, there's, there tends to be, um, you know, the, the whole idea that everybody is Gordon Gecko and that as soon as you start talking about do, going to, you know, a business or going into, into the corporate world in order to make money or profit, there's something wrong with that. But I think, you know, even, but even a not-for-profit, they've got to fundraise. They've got to be good stewards of the money they have, and um, and they've got to, they're accountable to a board and to uh, donors. And so it doesn't matter whether um, you know either way you you you've got to justify how what you do pushes the organization forward uh, in, in whatever its mission is. And I think way too too many business people. Even people, you know, out in operations or HR or accounting anywhere in the organization, so often don't really know how the company makes money. I mean, you know, how many people, you know, can tell you how McDonald's, you know, they think McDonald's makes all its money from selling hamburgers and French fries, and that's not where you know McDonald's is largely a, a real estate company and you know, in a marketing company. So, um, those are the kind of things I think people really need to understand, and too few do. Yeah, no, it's, well, the, here's the thing. It's, it's pretty simple in my opinion, although the stuff that we're having to focus in are complicated. Number one, we serve employees. So getting to know them, the relationships, the things that make them click, what they care about, what motivates them, what creates action for them. We have to make sure that we, we understand that. With HR comes an aspect of compliance and regulations and making sure we keep everybody doing business the way that we should in our, in our, in our state, in our city, in our, in our countries that, that we're serving. And then we have a business that we get paid for, that they pay us a lot of money, six figures, multiple times, sometimes in those jobs. And we have to figure out the game of business. What is the game that we're playing in business? And that's really what it is. We're trying to sell a bunch of these things at a cost that's reasonable. So we have enough money to pay for all the other indirect expenses. And oh, by the way, our shareholders should be able to put money back in their pocket. If you were an investor in a company, wouldn't you want them to pay you back? So thinking of it in that way, don't don't fight the fight. Don't don't fight what a business is. It's it's there to make money, and that's what it's there to do. And part of your job in HR as a business person is to help it make money. And in my opinion, doing it with people that want to be there, that are good at what they do, that have safety and ownership, and work for someone that cares about them, and they're clear about what their job is every single day. It's it, it's. I don't want to say it's simple because it's not, but clarity on what should be important should be simple. Let's not overcomplicate that. Exactly. That clarity is if you've got that mindset, everything else will fall into place if you're, if you're operating with a clear mindset. Um, so let's close with what, what would your advice be for that seasoned HR pro 
who's feeling burnout, they've lost their passion. Um, what, how would you tell, what would you tell them to consider as they try to, you know, they want to stay in HR, you know, or, you know, or at least they, they don't want to leave HR. Let's say, you know, at least they're at that point. Um, how would you, what would you tell them to, uh, to get back to being purposeful and people centric and those things that you talked about? It would be terribly shameless plug for me as an author to tell them to buy my book. I won't say that. But we will include a link in the show notes. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay, cool. Thank you so much. What I will say is the fact that any time that I ever find myself feeling down or sorry for myself or in a situation where life is tough, and it it happens, I mentioned a couple, you know, I lost both of my parents within a 13-month span, which motivated me eventually to write this book and do a couple things in my life that I hadn't accomplished yet. But what I had to do was I had to take myself out of the equation and put something else before me. I think we as human beings, we feel the worst about ourselves when we're the most selfish. And as opposed to when we're in a place giving back to a community, serving in some sort of nonprofit, delivering for our children or a neighbor or whatever, it those things usually make you feel good. They don't nor- You don't normally need the pat on the back once they're done, you're just there doing it because it's the right thing to do and it feels good. So if you're in that mode of not feeling connected to your HR profession, I'd recommend two things. Number one is get involved in your local SHRM chapter because there are other people that feel exactly the same way and the SHRM chapters do a great job of connecting people to the purpose of human resources and they also do some good things in the community at the same time. And then secondarily, go to your go to whatever local nonprofit or organization that you've served on before or a friend has before and just say, I'm looking to give back. Is there something I can do to help you? And find a way to reconnect yourself to what we're on this earth for is to make it a little bit better than 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 when we when we got here. And I think by taking taking that that approach. And then the last thing I'd say, if there's, if there's layers to the challenges that you're facing in your work, just, just unpack them one at a time, one chapter at a time. You're not going to take off. If you have 15 things in your head that are going on that are really bad or struggling or, or making you have, have tr- troubles at work, just unpack them one at a time. You, you can't, you can't take 50 pound weights off your chest all at once. You got to do it one layer at a time. That is the perfect way to wrap it up. That's all the time we have, but thank you so much for joining me today, John. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Keep up the great work, and I appreciate all that you're doing. Thanks so much, Mike. And thank you for listening. You can comment on this episode or search our previous episodes at goodmorninghr.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcast. Rob Upchurch is our technical producer, and you can reach him at robmakespods.com. And thank you to Imperatives Marketing Coordinator, Marianne Hernandez, who keeps the trains running on time. And I'm Mike Coffey, as always. Don't hesitate to reach out if I can be of service to you personally or professionally. I'll see you next week. And until then, be well, do good, and keep your chin up.